This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of Blue Collar Culture. I'm your co-host Ryan England. I'm here with Jeremy McLiver. Say hi, Jeremy. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest today is a business performance architect and the co-founder of Work the System. He's an international business consultant, coach, and a speaker. He said the unique experience of personally helping hundreds of businesses grow simply using the WTS or Work the System method. His specialty is taking stressed out entrepreneurs from working in their business to working on their business using these systems so that that profit and freedom become a consistent mechanical reality. I want you to welcome Josh Fonger as our guest today. Welcome, Josh. Happy to be here. So uh, it sounds like you've got this overall, I mean, you've got this book, you've got uh, a podcast, you've got lots of resources to help people really just create systems inside of their business so they get out of their business what they want uh, and maybe even change the reality that they have today. So tell us a little bit about that journey, how you got to where you are and some of the things that you're able to do to help uh, business owners accomplish that. Okay. Yeah. Well, definitely give you some of the the backstory. Uh, I had planned to be in real estate development. Uh, So, so you, you're both local to where I am in the Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale area. So I used to be in uh, commercial real estate development with some companies, uh, bigger companies here locally, because my undergraduate degree is in architecture. And uh, I was the, the victim of the 2006, 2007 crash. And so me, like a lot of other folks, uh, got laid off and I had to find something else to do. And, um, I'd gotten my MBA uh, while I was working. And so I was trying to find basically a career in anything. I applied thousands of places around the world. Oh, maybe hundreds, not thousands, but <laughs> a lot of places. It felt like thousands. And the only job I could get was being a business consultant, uh, which is ironic because um, I wrote my thesis paper about why you should never hire a business consultant. So uh, there I was taking a career that I didn't think had any value. And I didn't want to do really, <clears throat> but after getting hired uh, as a business consultant, uh, I fell in love with it. I just really enjoyed mm, solving challenging problems, helping uh, clients through difficult situations, and uh, just had some uh, really good uh, success. Yeah, I, I had really good success early on because I started consulting when I was 26, right? So I was usually working with companies where the owners were 10, 20, 30, 40, 40 years older than me, 50 years older than me. And so uh, I, I just really hit it off and really loved the work and got to the point where I was traveling you know, like 20 days a month. And with a young family, that's that's no good. And so I'm flying from location, 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 helping these companies out. And um, I had two major uh, life changes happen, which made me connect with Sam Carpenter, author of Work the System. One was that... Uh, I was I was dying, you know, <laughs> just burning out, working too many hours away from home. Um, <clears throat> that was killing me. And the other thing was I checked back on some of my clients and they kept needing me to come back again and again and again. Like like the work that I did didn't stick. Right. I had to I had to come back to help them with their sales. I had to come back to help them with their financial forecast. I had to come back to help them with their um, you know, their their merchandising um you know, scorecards, right? I had to keep coming back because what I did um, 
if I wasn't there, then they would they would lose focus, they would they would lose traction. And so I met Sam Carpenter uh, in Bend, Oregon. I used to live in Oregon, and uh, he wrote a book called Work the System. And this whole the whole premise of the book is that you can build freedom in your business as an entrepreneur. Uh, there's some very clear mechanical steps to do that. And if you build it right, you actually can work less and less and less and make more and more and more. Hence the uh, the, the subheading of the book, which is uh, the simple mechanics of making more and working less, which is it was it was not a get rich quick scheme. It's it's just um it's get rich correctly scheme, I guess is the way to put it. And I read in the book about <laughs> how this this idea of putting documented systems into place in a business, which is and the most uh, boring and painful thing for an owner to hear is that they just um, <laughs> entrepreneurs are, are are creative. They like to you know make decisions quickly on the fly. And this whole book is about hey, actually, if you document the systems, the core systems of your business, you're actually going to build freedom. You're going to build higher quality. It's going to improve your your speed, your efficiency. Cut out waste. It's going to allow you to delegate, to cross chain, to measure, to improve performance. Uh, all of these things that are essential if you actually want to grow with decreasing amounts of headaches <laughs> and increasing amounts of freedom, it's, it's just something you have to do. And then I started trying it out with my clients had really good results. And then Sam and I um, <clears throat> started this consulting business together, work system. And uh, was that maybe eight or nine years ago. And uh, ever since that's what we've been doing It's helping companies take his method uh, in the book and applying it to a whole host of uh, companies and industries around the world. So this system, the work, the system, it, it really was that missing piece you had with your clients that you were consulting with when things weren't sticking. It's because they didn't have this system in place. Is, did I hear that correctly? Uh, yeah. Well, so even if I would take, uh, let's just say I had a, I don't know, a sales strategy to help them or marketing strategy and we teach it to the company, work with them on it, you know, teach their manager, teach the, whatever that person was. Um, people come and go. This, this, the document system stay. And so even if the person was really good at that, uh, over time, they would tweak it. They would change it. They would, um, you know, they'd have a good day and then they'd have a bad day. And then they would bring someone else on and that person would have their own way of doing it a little bit different, a little bit more variation to it. And then over time, it would get diluted, convoluted and chaotic. And then all of a sudden you've got a mess again, right? Uh, you got three people all involved in marketing. They all do it differently and no one really has clarity and then, of course, the accountability goes down. Then, of course, the measuring goes down. Then you got a you got a problem. And then <laughs> your company gets in trouble. The owner jumps in. The owner gets headaches, and you've you've got uh, the mess all over again. And so that that truly was the missing piece. Is I didn't take the time to um, you know encourage or force the client to document those systems, and then hold people accountable to them, and then use those. I guess the exterior brain of the business. So instead of housing everything that's great in people's brains, you house it in these documented uh, solutions outside of their brains. Yeah, no, that's great. I hear a lot of times from people that I talk to in the business community that, especially the owners, they just wish the people on their team would do it the way they would do it. Um, too often we see, uh, a lot of business owners, as the business is growing and they start hiring people, there's not a lot of time taken to train them. And if they do, to your point, they may not hear it the same way. They may bring some uh, something from a previous position that they think would do be a better way of doing it. And then before you know it, 
there's a problem. The owner gets involved and they're like, why aren't you doing it the way I did it? Because the way I did it worked. And it sounds like that's really what work the system is about is really solving that. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are not mind readers and, uh, people actually, your, your team, your employees, they, they do actually want to do a good job, but they need to have some clear way of doing a good job. And so we call it, um, you know, the recipe of each thing you're supposed to do. <clears throat> and it, it's all, well, here's a funny example. So I had one client where they, um, you know, the owner was always upset with the way people answer the phones. And this was at actually a flooring store in Canada. And he was always annoyed by his team answering the phone. They were answering the phone the wrong way. They didn't greet the customers the right way. And I said, just, just, just write it down, write down what you want. And evidently it, it drove him crazy when people would answer the phone in the first ring, because that made it sound too desperate. But if they answer the phone after the third ring, that sounded like they weren't really on top of it. Like they weren't really in control of their business and they're behind. And I, you know, just little things like that. And he said, you know, before they answer the phone, they need to smile first. And then they have to say it this way. And here's exactly what they should say. And uh, he had a whole methodology and, and it was, you know, it was rooted in logic and it was rooted in experience and it was rooted in his training. I mean, the guy was in his sixties. He'd been doing this a long time and he had thought through exactly the best way to answer the phone. And he was wondering why, you know, whenever he hired somebody, they frustrated him so much. And it was just because they didn't know the recipe for answering the phone. Mm. So how do you how do you work with your clients to get the that recipe out of their head? How how do you get them to take a breather long enough to actually do that? <laughs> right. Well, there there is the trick, uh, taking the breather. Uh, so that's one of our um, that's it's built into our strategy is that we only work with mature thinking entrepreneurs. <laughs> right. So if you're not um, willing to think in a mature way about your business, like you're not willing to take a breath and, and actually uh, write down, write these things down, uh, we can't help you, right? If you're just going to keep running in circles and moving really fast and not getting anywhere, then uh, you're not a good client for us. We actually do need people who, uh, hmm. you know, they're going to provide the leadership to their team uh, that we're going to uh, move a little bit slower just for a while to get some of these best practices down, some of these things down. And the places where that's gray, we're going to spend a little bit of time um, debating, arguing, figuring out what is the best way, and we're going to write it down. And so that that is essential. Like if the uh, we call it getting it. If the leader doesn't get it, uh, they don't have what we call the systems mindset. If they're not willing to see things as separate systems, then um, we we don't we just don't even start with them. So that's really the first component of any successful engagement is the owner has to see their business is not them but they need to get outside and slightly elevated now look down on their business and see the separate pieces, the separate systems and understand that to have a perfect business, you need each of these individual pieces to be perfect and then put back together. And if you don't see the separateness, uh, then you are going to always be thrashing back and forth, uh, never really um, having success uh, because it's, it's impossible just to fix a business. That's, that's too big. It's too broad. It's too um, difficult. But it is possible to fix today the way everybody in your team greets customers when they walk in the door. You can fix that today. And, and that would actually make a measurable difference to your bottom line. And that is a simple, you know, it's, it's, it's one piece out of 100 for your business that you could fix with the system. And that's what we try to do is, is um, uh, get the mindset first. And then um, once they see that, then uh, we get to work, you know, piece by piece. Got it. So 
as as an entrepreneur myself, I know one of the things I challenge with I'm challenged with is the difference between my willingness to change and my ability to change. Uh, and what I mean by that is I might want to change. I might want that that system, that process that I want I might want the documentation. But when I look at my day or I look at my week or I look at my month, I'm like, where am I going to be able to carve out the time to distance myself enough from the fires that I'm putting out all day and be able to actually sit down and do that? What, what advice do you have for those other entrepreneurs that feel that same way? Uh, I would say that you have, you're in good company <laughs> because uh, it's ex- extremely unusual for a business owner to uh, actually be good at this kind of work to actually be good at sitting down and doing the non-urgent important work of putting systems in place and so we we mainly push the owners towards um being good leaders towards um writing down a strategy which uh gets their team excited and shows them why they're doing this and we want the owners to be involved in developing the principles that are going to undergird this whole systemization effort but after that we we try to get the owner uh, away from the implementation because they are going to always be trying to, you know, they have big things to, to handle as an owner. And the, the big things that they're handling are almost always going to trump, you know, documenting how to answer the door. <laughs> All right. And so we have to get the team involved. <clears throat> That's what we do is get the, the lower level uh, staff involved. Uh, in our case, we actually help document those systems for them. We have a writing company. We will actually, um, and we have software we use regularly. We'll actually put those pieces in and um, not involve the owner because it, it's it's unusual for an owner to do that. Now, in Sam's case, in the book, Work the System, uh, he has an engineering background. He thinks like an engineer. He loves to write. His parents, uh, his dad or his dad was a, a grammar teacher and his mom was an author. He's an author. He loves this stuff. And this is a perfect thing for him. So he was highly involved in writing the systems and reviewing the systems and improving the systems because that was just what he really liked to do. But that's unusual, right? It, it's very often the case. I'm going to work with um, the um, second, third, fourth in command, and then they're going to actually uh, work with me and we're going to actually get those systems built for the owner. Um, but the owner has got to believe in it. They've got to be the cheerleader. They've got to have the vision and they have to be willing to invest, uh, you know, time and money. Uh their time or sorry, their money, but their team's time in actually building a great company. And if they're not willing to do that, then, um, you know, they're just going to stay small and dysfunctional. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So really leverage the the team to help them with that as well. Um, if that's not their, their specialty or in the case of what you do, um, actually bring in outside experts to help them do that is, uh, one of the most effective ways to, to make sure it gets done uh, because uh, a lot of great intention, but not being able to fully execute on it, it can actually sometimes make some things worse uh, is what I've seen. Uh, so when it comes to these processes, like I think about business and there's this joke that as business owners, we wear 17 hats uh, and most of them look like a fireman hat because we're always putting out all these fires. So where does someone start with this? I mean, that's a, that's a big, uh, bite to chew on on the business. So, how do you get started in doing this? It, well, yeah, that that's very true. And um, for some people, it's even more than seventeen hats, right? Uh, well, you got to start somewhere. So, the place I start is I get the owner to 
uh, list out all the things that they do. It, it's pretty tedious, but every single thing they do from the first thing in the morning to the last thing at the end of the night uh, for multiple days. And I also do a org chart of everybody on their team. And then I do a future org chart of where they want to be in a couple of years. And so that gives us, uh, again, the, the, the team goals of where we're going <clears throat> with our personnel. And then it shows the owner what they're currently doing. And we uh, start taking the list and say, hey, you, um, you re- you're an editor. Like you review the copy. Um, you know, actually it looks like someone else could do that in your team. So we start to figure, find out what things other people could do in their team. And then it makes sense to actually document and train somebody because you realize other folks can do it. And then we find things that um, they could find a lower cost provider to do it than themselves. So if I teach them to value their time for what it's worth, and maybe to the business, their time is worth 200 or 300 or $400 an hour, then essentially anything the owner is doing, uh, they probably shouldn't be doing, <laughs> right? Uh, it's When I go through an owner's list, usually what I find is that the owner has very, very, very few CEO owner things on their list of to-dos, uh, almost nothing, right? And so I'll go through the list and I'll say to the owner, well, who is the owner of this business? Who's, who's the CEO? Who's running this company? Because I look at your list, it looks like you're actually not doing any of those things. You're just doing the things that all of your staff could do or we could bring on people to do. You know, who's actually casting vision? Who's uh, growing the culture? Who's uh, working on recruiting joint ventures, new products, new services, innovation, uh, you know, the development of the the brand, who, you know, looking for financing, uh, who's, who's doing those things? And it's usually no one, right? Uh, and that's that's what I try to do is let them know that the, the, the work they're not doing is the essential work. And the work they are doing is the work that um, there are plenty of competent people to do. Uh, so yeah, we just, you know, one bite at a time, you know, one piece at a time. It's, um, it's not going to happen in a day. Sometimes it takes a year or two, but um, it's worth it. Uh, in Sam Carpenter's case, he coined this term, uh, the replacement. And so what he wanted to do is find somebody who could be just like him in the business and his business, uh, his replacement is named Andy and she runs the company hundred percent, right? Now, oftentimes that doesn't happen in the business. And so we have, um, replacements, uh, plural. So as an owner, you might do the sales, the marketing, the IT. And, uh, because of that, you're going to maybe have someone else handle the sales and someone else handle the IT and someone else handle the marketing over time. As you uh, document those various systems and they're going to run them, they're going to execute on them and you're going to slowly build your freedom. Uh, And that's what it is. It's a a process of building freedom and it's a process of building growth. And you you actually said something that I wanted to jump back into. Didn't want to get too far away from, um, that I, I thought was, you know, interesting. Obviously, the owner is doing stuff that's not CEO level, and that's holding them back from the next level of growth. But a lot of times, what we find is it's because they can't find, they they don't believe that somebody can do it as well as them. How do you help them through that transition of of transferring their skills? Because it it really could be true that people don't do it as well as them. They have a natural gift, a natural um, way of doing. Um, so how do you transfer that skill to the next person? How do you hand that off mm-hmm. and, and then give them the confidence to do it? Uh, yes. Uh, 
Very true. And there's, um, this was going to get nuanced because there's a couple of different ways to go about it. Like, uh, I've got this one, uh, chiropractor I work with and he's really amazing at tying in the emotional and the physical and the psychological and, and the, um, all these pieces together. And that's very hard, <laughs> right? So we're trying to remove everything except for his unique, you know, zone of genius, right? We're, we're, we're removing everything else away from him so we can just do that one thing, <clears throat> which is fine. Right. And then he's going to bring on an apprentice and it's going to take a long time to bring on an apprentice to do those things as well. That's one way to go about it. And if you are a true, um, uh, true, true craftsman doing something that's really unique, um, then that might be the case. But 99% of what people do is not like that. Right. And, and the easiest way to, to break up and give things away is to do it into small pieces. Right. So you might say, you know, I am the best copywriter in the world let's just say and i you know i just write this amazing creative copy that converts and no one else can do it like me well that might be true but could somebody else research the competitors as good as you sure could someone else come up with a list of headlines sure could someone else uh look at uh the designs of the competition and come up with some designs sure could somebody else um you know come up with ideas find case studies interview uh, past customers, interview the client, interview the competition. Yeah, like all of these things that make up for nice uh, converting copy um, could be broken down into the individual components. And then how about editing your copy at the end? Are you the best editor in the world? Probably not. So you've taken what is this artistic and complicated and challenging thing, you've broken up into 10 different pieces and you realize that seven of those 10 they're definitely people who are better than you and they're simple enough where you could um, uh, separate them, right? Now, uh, what this, I think a big reason why owners don't like to do this is they, they're they so used to moving quickly. They're so used to um, innovating on the spot and they're, they're so used to um, taking what could be very simple if it was broken out into pieces and um, putting it together and orchestrating it in such a complicated real-time way that they're correct. No one else could do this on the fly, right? Which is what they do. But if they were willing to spread out the pieces and take them one by one, then actually many, many, many people could help them if they were willing to do that. And that I takes that. I, I use a, I use a line, um, structure, freeze creativity. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of times I run into entrepreneurs like, well, I'm on the fly. I'm like, I'm moving. Like, I just know how to make it happen, but their real their real genius is more defined. And using that that example you just gave, seventy percent of it or seven out of the ten items were just structure issues. And if we can get those structure issues away from them and build a structure around them, now hundred percent of the time is in that thirty percent zone. And now we've just expanded that thirty percent zone by more than I mean almost what three times. Um, what it was, and we're growing at a faster pace because we've expanded their their thing. So a lot of times when I see entrepreneurs that are struggling with the structure thing, it's because they are on the fly. They love the flexibility, and don't they don't realize that that create that if they had the structure, they could actually be more creative. They could be more free. Question though, finding the skills is one thing. But getting the confidence and the ability to hand it off to somebody, that art, you know, because a lot of these leaders have tried it once or twice and they've been burned. 
They've handed it off to somebody. They thought they did. They trained, they invested, they did whatever they felt like was to get that handed off. And then it totally crashed and burned. They are picking up the pieces. And from that point on, they have some resistance. So how do you help them transfer that confidence and that, that portion of it to somebody? Great question. And, um, you know, I'm sure Ryan can speak to this as well. So uh, the, the first thing is to realize that if you don't do this, you're forever, forever going to be a slave to your business forever. And so let that sink in and depress you <laughs> a lot first, right? And to realize, gosh, I guess I'm not going to take a vacation. I guess my kids won't see me. I guess uh, this is this is my tombstone. This is why, you know, the vast majority of companies do go under, they do fail, and you're just going to be a statistic. So you can choose that because uh, what's going to happen is a string of bad things are going to happen. You know, your kid's going to get sick for a while, then your big client's going to leave, and then you're going to have uh, a bad week, and then your tech, your computer's going to break, and then all of a sudden you're out of business, right? This gonna, like those, you know, the, the perfect storm's going to happen, and then you'll be under. That's, mm, that's, that's normal. That's actually above average. That's most everybody. So if once you've decided that that future sounds pretty depressing, because it is, um, then you do have to um, bite the bullet and decide you're going to bring people on. Now, um, all you can do is reduce the chance of failure, right? And each each step along the way. So uh, people like Ryan, who are you know, experts at recruiting, right? You're going to have to have a very clear you know person you're looking for, so clear um, an ad out there. You have to review resumes after you review resumes through the you know first interview on the phone, and then a live interview, then a drug test, and then a you know you're gonna have some other tests, maybe a typing test or uh, personality profiling. Uh, give them a project to test on. There's all these different things you're gonna do, right? That, those are the um, the hoops someone jumps through just to even get a chance to uh, work work on you know work with you, work in your company. Um, that sounds exhausting, a lot of owners, and so they never do it. But that's that is the essential first step. So maybe you you've lowered your ch- your failure rate down from a seventy percent chance of failure rate with the person that you hire to a twenty percent, thirty percent. Now you have to onboard them properly. There's a system for onboarding. Okay, now they're onboarded. You have to actually train them properly, and then after that, you have to hold accountable, <laughs> hold them accountable properly, and then you got to measure them, and then you have to grow them and develop them and nurture them. And there's there's a lot of pieces to doing this right. And um, even if you do it all perfect, there's still a chance. And I've had several clients where the, the key manager uh, died, <laughs> right? There's still a chance they're going to die or they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to get pregnant and decide not to work anymore or they're going to um, move or their spouse is going to get a job somewhere else or their kids are going to have trouble in school or they're going to stop, stop working. I mean, there's a hundred different things that can, that can happen and totally change it instantly without your control that's why you want to build a system so that if the person leaves it's okay because then you can run the next person or the batch of people through the same system and then if they leave like there's there's natural attrition Uh, but even if you do everything perfectly and they're the perfect person you have to plan for there's you know one two three months of them not making money for you them losing you money right like they're they're a net loss because you have to spend more time training them, more time cleaning up their mistakes, more time correcting them, and then more time getting your customers used to them. There, there is that period, and there's no way around it. This is for, again, for mature thinking entrepreneurs. If, if you 
want to stay immature, then you will not do this. You just won't, you won't. And that's, that's up to you, but um, you have to be willing to invest that. But then, I mean, the doors go wide open once you're, you're willing to make those steps. So when, once you, you've, you've made the decision, you start making these steps, uh, was really being able to measure. I heard measure in there, um, being able to track how well they're doing. A lot of times what I've seen just even, even in my corporate uh, past when I worked for large corporations or even in some of the work that we do, a lot of times we see someone come in and say, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. And then they go walk away and they go deal with the other stuff that they deal with as the owner. And when they come back a week later or even a, a few hours later, the work isn't done to the quality they expected or it wasn't done at the speed they expected. Uh, how do we get those owners to really think about what do results really look like? Like, What are the, some of the tools and some of the things that you've seen work uh, to get them to think about those results, but also be able to communicate that really well? Because one of the things that I learned really early on in business is it's very rare that someone is going to be as fast as me the first time they do it. But the expectation is, well, if I'm going to give this up, I want it done as well as I would do, as fast as I would do the first time they do it. And that's, that's an unrealistic expectation. So what are some things that owners can do to, to transition that part of it, the speed and the quality? Yeah, great, great point. And I guess the other question is, even if they're a little slower and they're not quite as good as you, isn't it still worth it to give it up? <laughs> and it usually it still is uh, sure. worth it. Um, but over time, I mean, if they're, if they're just doing this one thing again and again and again and again, they're actually going to get better than you and faster than you and higher quality. And they're going to innovate on it and come up with new ways, uh, which, which helps with people when they specialize. But um, I think, you know, all the things we mentioned with regards to hiring are key and training are key. But um, what we do in, in work system is we also give each employee uh, the vision for the whole business. So they understand why does this one piece matter? Okay, this piece matters because this is where we're going. This is who we serve. This is why we serve them. This is how we serve them. And then these are the principles that we bought into with regards to speed, quality, uh, you know, timeliness, innovation. Like we have certain principles that guide how we make decisions. And a big part of that comes through those two documents, the strategic objective and the operating principles. And so any new person brought on board has to understand that, you know, the way we do things here is different than anywhere else. We actually have these high standards. We actually have, we actually are pursuing greatness. We actually are um, going somewhere that's going to be amazing, you know, join us and getting there. And I think that's part of it is that owners inherently, naturally have these high standards because it's, it's, it's their livelihood, right? The, the business is a reflection of, of them. They take it very personally. The, the team doesn't, right? So you have to, um, uh, explain that vision to them, help them have ownership in the results and get them excited about where they're going as a business, right? If they, if they don't uh, feel like what they do matters and the standards aren't raised, then they're just going to do the, the bare, the bare minimum. Um, so I think that partly answers your question, but on top of that, I would say that it's, it's like, um, uh, as Sam Carpenter always says that he's an extreme obsessive micromanager in the very beginning because he doesn't want you to go off track. So he's going to be on every single thing you do that first day and then a little bit less the second day and then a little bit less the third day and then a little bit, you know, and then just kind of work his way into not really checking anything you do at all. 
And he said, it, it's just smart. Like you, you're not going to hand somebody a new position and then walk away for a few weeks and then hope they do a good job. It's just never going to happen. So you have to actually be highly involved, whether you have document systems, which does it, or if you don't yourself uh, in the very beginning, so they don't go off track. So they do know the standards. So they don't build up bad habits. Um, so uh, kind of a long answer to a short question. Definitely a balance in that. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely a balance in that. Like letting go enough that you're not microing them long-term, but also not letting go too soon and going to chase the next thing that you're passionate about or that uh, that you have to deal with that only you can deal with. So really finding that balance. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, so for the, for those people that are listening right now going, you know what, this sounds awesome, Josh. I, I, I want this, um, but I really don't know what it looks like on the other side of doing all this. Do you have a couple of uh, case studies, if you will, some stories you can share of some owners that said, you know what, I'm ready to make this decision. I'm going to go do it. But, but really, what did the outcome look like? Like, what was the benefit to them? Are there a couple stories you could share uh, to do this? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, if they want to get uh, a whole earful, <laughs> they can go to workthesystem.com. I mean, we've got a podcast like like you do. And, and so there's lots of stories there. Uh, you know, pick the industry you want to learn about. And we've got clients who've gone from, you know, 100-hour work weeks to two-hour work weeks. Uh, we have people who have sold their business. I'm thinking of a you know, property manager who is literally about to die, uh, working 80 hours a week. And then after six months, he documented all the systems. His work went down dramatically and he sold his business. Uh, so you can certainly go that route. Uh, we've got a fitness studio who was, again, you know, his fitness was going down dramatically because he was always there working the business, brought in a few employees. And then he finally uh, came up with his whole protocol of doing things. And then he opened up two new, two new locations, right? So you can, you can definitely um, decide how you want to apply uh, the, the method as in, sorry, what you want to apply your time and money to. I had one uh, commercial appraisal firm that I worked with and the owner, um, his, his team didn't need him anymore. So he put his systems in place and then he said, Josh, now what do I do? I got all this time in my hand. So he got into road bike riding and then he joined a band. Uh, so he started playing guitar at the, uh, in a band. And then he realized that he actually really loved his work. And so he went back and you know he grew his sales dramatically and they opened up another location so i mean you can you can have a lot of freedom once you put these things in and decide what you want to do with the time and money you make you know reinvest it sell uh all sorts of things but the main thing is you're you're providing more value to the world to your customers to your team and a, a bigger future and it's just i mean business is fun and uh you want to expand it and if you are holding on to it too tightly, you're actually, uh, you're killing your potential and you're being a bottleneck on your future. And you, you don't want to do that. You have to kind of open, open the grip a little bit and see, see the potential for what you do actually is far greater. Yeah. I love that. Just staying focused on the potential and what could be um, when you're willing to let go. Uh, so, Hey, I, I know you already mentioned again, but I want you to do it just in case they didn't. Josh, how do our listeners get a hold of you? How do they learn more? Where do they find the podcast? Uh, if you could just repeat that, that would be great. Uh, yeah, definitely. So go to workthesystem.com. Uh, that's where we give away the book for free. Of course, you can 
you can buy it if you want to, but uh, it's downloadable there at workthesystem.com. That's also where all of our coaching, consulting events, and uh, folks folks who are curious about what I do and they want to get certified, I'm also certifying consultants around the world to uh, yeah spread spread the message. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. I cannot believe our time is over already. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation today. For those of you that are listening that want to know how do you get out of the business so that you can work on the business and really have that potential, check out Josh's website and his podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, guys. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.